0: As a pastor or staff member of a church, it is common to experience compassion fatigue and find that you spend so much time caring for others, you're not caring for yourself. Saga wants to help foster healthy churches by facilitating the support of the emotional, mental, and relational health of their leaders. As a partner of Saga, pastors and staff can confidently and easily begin their journey by being uniquely matched to a therapist that best fits their needs. To learn more about a church partnership with Saga, go to sagacenter.org. That's S A G A Center.org.
1: Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George.
0: Hey, welcome to another edition of leading simple i'm rusty george taking you through this today and recently i got to sit down with one of my favorite people in the world a guy by the name of jim sheldon jim was a guy that came to christ and then got into business was working in the marketplace world and somehow felt like god was tugging at his heart to go into ministry Some of you are in that position right now. You're thinking, should I go into ministry? Should I keep my day job? What am I supposed to do? And Jim ended up getting into ministry, helping plant a church with a group of friends, and becoming their executive pastor. How did he do this? Why did he do this? Why does he stay? I think you're going to be really blessed by what Jim has to say. Well, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast so you get this content free of charge and to your inbox every single time it comes out. Here's my conversation with executive pastor, police chaplain, and long-suffering Chicago Bears fan, Jim Sheldon. Okay, buddy. Jim Sheldon. Finally, on the podcast, the man, the myth, legend. Let's just deal, first of all, with the thing that everybody wants to know, and that is, how do you feel about the Chicago Bears and the upcoming draft?
1: Uh, man, I would say I have growing optimism, which is, in, which is concerning. Uh, as a Chicago sports fan, you, you learn to hedge disappointments. So uh, I, I think they're doing everything right. I think we've hired from a great organization right? The Kansas City Chiefs. We've got a front office that has good roots there. Uh, I don't know. Time will tell, but it's been fun and entertaining. I'm enjoying the ride. Let's put it that way.
0: Well, the fact that you guys finally made a trade uh, in in an effort to add some offensive players uh, is huge because I I can't name an offensive player since Walter Payton.
1: I can name a lot. (laughs) I just don't know. Issues that they've, they've not been good.
0: Uh, so. Well, you do have the uh, the added distinction of trading up to get Mitch Trubisky while Pat Mahomes fell to number ten. So there you go.
1: If be, they've been nothing but uh, great at identifying talent. So they really. <laughs> but new, new <laughs> yeah, we'll see.
0: Okay, hey buddy, uh, tell our listeners uh, just a little bit about who you are and how you even got into ministry because that was not something that you initially chose.
1: Uh, Yeah, you're, you're right. I grew up in a family where faith was a really important thing. And I've realized now in my adult years, like I grew up in a family that like most people did not have the privilege of experiencing. Like I don't, I've gone hunting for them and I haven't found childhood wounds. Uh, which is great. I think it made my parents nervous. Like, why are you looking back so hard in your past? And it's like, I just I don't know. I'm I'm told I'm supposed to. So, uh, But faith has always been a huge part of my life in my uh, growing up years. I had an older sister that died of cancer when I was six. And that was a huge part of mm. our family growing closer to each other and closer to God, which is the exception, not the rule. I think when a family experiences a trauma like that. Uh, and I actually thought in high school like i may end up going into ministry i was going to a christian high school had a religion teacher that mentored me uh but uh classic story met a girl fell in love and all of a sudden nothing else mattered right so I um, ended up not going to college stayed home all of my christian friends went off to college all of her friends who didn't go to church became my friends and faith became irrelevant it wasn't like uh we had this thing that we were rebelling against as much as like, it's just kind of we're indifferent towards our faith and just drifted away from church. It just seemed like it didn't apply anymore. And that set me off on a journey to chase things uh, like most people do in their twenties. I found a career, got married, like got a job at a bank that I'd loved working at. And I, I just kept getting uh, more and more opportunities there and found myself down a path where I was building a career. At a young age, that I thought I would do for the rest of my life, mm. and uh, common story among believers, uh, the goalpost kept moving on what I thought would bring me success uh, or um, a sense of uh, acceptance, and realized along the way I was compromising uh, who I was in a lot of terms. I was mm. being whoever I needed to be in whatever circles I was in, and my Christian like anchoring. I'm like I knew that's not really what I want to be about. And uh, had this moment where I got promoted, got my business cards and had this like come to Jesus moment where like this did not pay off uh, and I don't want to keep doing this. And that set us on a journey to find a church. And we found a church that even though I grew up in one, we found a church that was teaching the gospel in a way I'd never heard it presented before, uh, changed the way that we lived almost immediately and just reoriented our whole life around putting God first and worked 40 hours a week instead of 50 or 60 and started volunteering everywhere that we could imagine in the church, just anything they needed. We're like, yeah, man, we're into help. We're just hungry, just kept uh, consuming. We're like, tell us what to do and we'll do it. And ultimately that led to someone seeing something in me uh, and taking a risk and giving me an opportunity to do something I was not qualified to do. (laughs) And then I got into ministry.
0: (laughs) Wow. That is awesome. So that was all in uh, Rockford, Illinois. Is that right?
1: That's right, Rock Vegas. Yep.
0: Oh, man. The home of the uh, Belgian waffles or pancakes and
1: the. Rockford Peaches.
0: Rockford s- Peaches. Sock Monkey. Okay. Well, <laughs>
1: there's, there's a lot of famous things that come
0: from Rockford. Hits keep on coming. And, well, okay. So that's kind of where our paths crossed. And I, I, I met you as you were getting ready to go and help plant a church out here in uh, Ventura. So. Tell us, man, it's one thing to go into ministry. It's another thing to jump into the deep end and plant a church. Um, did that just make sense to you, or did you recognize, boy, this is crazy?
1: Oh, I thought it was going to be my path to, to getting back into banking. Uh, that's really <laughs> <laughs> uh, I realized like uh, I've always been underqualified and undereducated for everything I've done in life, uh, including banking uh I worked mm-hmm. with musicians but I was not qualified to go get them so when I left the bank I knew um probably this is not like an easy reentry if I was, had bad pizza and got into ministry and right. to change it so it felt like leaving this church that had been formative in my spiritual formation and opportunity to do ministry to go plant a church where the statistics are just depressing. Right. Uh, moving across the country where we don't know anybody uh, with friends, when they tell you you plant with friends, they won't be uh, when you're done. So I'm like, all right, well, it's mm-hmm. like a great way to end friendships and uh, my career in ministry. So uh, I had wise counsel that I like sought and they just kept telling me like, well, you, it's not sin staying like, so you don't overthink it. Like maybe God's giving you the opportunity to choose. Yeah. And uh, long story short, we, we chose, but for real, I think we thought we're going to head out there. We feel called to do it. Faithfulness is obedience. Let's go do this. We're going to fundraise for three years. And even if we're successful in the church planning world in three years, we have 200 people come in. You don't have three full-time staff members. You, you for sure have a lead pastor. You probably have a worship pastor, but whatever I'm doing, you probably don't have that. So I'm probably going to have to fire myself by year three and we'll move back and have had a great experience living in California for a few years. So that's what I thought I was signing up for.
0: (laughs) That's kind of how we all come out here, right? We're just, eh, you know, at least I'll go to Disneyland a couple of times and the beach and then we'll go home. Exactly. So what, uh, you know, when when you come out here to plant a church, I remember the first time that that you and I and and your team of people we talked about this. Everybody's role was pretty nebulous, you know. Well, I'll teach or I'll connect the dots or you know nobody wanted to work with kids. Um, so, what what did you initially think your job was going to be when you signed up for this?
1: Oh, that's such a good. No one no one did want to do kids ministry. Uh, so I thought for sure I'll be leading kids ministry. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I just knew I'm like this is a startup uh and i'm gonna be the person that just does everything that needs to get done so that's kind of how i got into ministry like i think that was a uh, an important connection for me was to go i didn't have this niche that i felt called to i didn't have a career that i developed for i really felt like I had opportunities god put in front of me and i wanted to say yes and that had led to some of the biggest faith adventure i'd ever experienced so yeah. i was just going to keep doing that with this church plan mm-hmm. so i knew i knew with some clarity like i'm going to handle the stuff that happens outside of the weekend so i'm going to lead adult ministry and groups and i i have a business background in banking but like that's the equivalent of telling a guy that plays the guitar hey you probably know how to build a sound system it's like <laughs> no I know, to, I know how to plug it in and change the volume, but I don't know. So it was a little bit of like, that. Well, you're a banker, you can do all the budgeting. And it's like, no, yeah, probably we'll figure it out. Uh, so I kind of just knew it'd be a jack of all trades. And I saw my role as a catalyst. Like our team's gonna have great ideas. We've got amazing leaders. Uh, my role is gonna be to make sure that like we can set out accomplishing some of the things that we wanted to do in a way that produced results.
0: Okay, so this is so key because everybody wants to have an executive pastor, nobody knows what they do. It's true. So, you know, they they really I mean, I've had a few different ones and they usually all kind of have different takes on how to do the job. And then you have different seasons of the church in which they're required to do different things. So there are some great startup guys and then some guys that are better, just like, "Eh, I'm better after it's finished and then I just keep the, the wheels going. So, you know, through your progression... What does what your job look like over, the t- over time? Because it wasn't initially called an XP, but it eventually became an XP. So, you know, you mentioned you were kind of the connector or the catalyst when you were planting. Um, so you've got the, the scaffolding years, you've got the let's just raise money and uh, a launch team, but then you move into a theater day one. What's your job look like then once you start actually meeting together?
1: Yeah, so I think you're 100% right how the the role changes and evolves. Uh, In the early days, it really was like, how are we going to just help connect people? So I think a large part of my role on the ministry side of that XP role would have been, I led all the groups. Uh, I oversaw, like I did oversee the ministries, like kids ministry. We had a volunteer leading it for a while and then a part-time person. And so I was kind of figuring out the structure that would need to exist given the limited resources that we had available, Mm -hmm. how to create a structure that could scale uh, and not be inhibited by the roadblocks that we saw come in or the funding that we wouldn't have. Like we needed to figure out how to do ministry and be creative. Uh, So I think it takes a little bit. There was like a a roll around strategy Mm -hmm. uh, that I had, but then there was also had to be an, an agility to go, I can, I need to be able to play different roles based on Whoever God brings on this team, so it was less. Mm-hmm. This probably the antithesis of like <laughs> know your strengths and build around them. It, I think it was like I kind of knew I knew what I, I knew what I brought, and I knew that I that I could bring that in a bunch of different ways. I didn't have to have a specific role or title, and I wanted to pay attention to who God brought uh, and manage around that more than I wanted to build it around who who I was.
0: So it's more of a, and this is so true in the early days of church planning. It's kind of a, you know what, forget about my strengths. Let's find out what the organization's weaknesses are. Yeah. And I'll fill the gaps until I don't have to anymore.
1: Right. And then people walk in and they're like, this is terrible. Yeah. And they know because it's, you're bad at it. And they're like, let me do it. And then you hand it off. To them. So I think what I saw was like, I was responsible to get things started uh, and to be the catalyst for things. But as I look back, I didn't really. I didn't manage things for more than six to 24 months before I handed it off and then kept moving on to the next thing. So, in some ways, like I think I felt responsible to start uh, to get a lap or two under my belt with whatever I was owning so that it could be reproducible. It could have our culture, our values, and it could be defined in a way now that could be handed off to someone um, with enough clarity that they could, we could define what success was and have uh, clarity on expectations.
0: Okay. That's a great point. So give us a few of those things that you got going and then hand it off.
1: Yeah. So, uh, set up and tear down, and then we moved into a building. Mm-hmm. So like set up and tear down was easy. Also we have a facility and it's like, wait, well, we have to clean it. Uh, so like. So I would, I would clean, like I would vacuum, I would mop, you know, for the first month, month or so, a couple of weeks. And I'm like, I'm pulling volunteers in, but I'm still trying to get my hands around. Like, what do we, this is like, we were in a 16 screen movie theater. So just trying to figure out, like you could, you could have a full time crew just cleaning that thing. So mm-hmm. like, I just need, to, that's, and this is all how I'm wired. Like I, I want to get my hands dirty and kind of feel it, experience it. And then I can make better decisions. So I did that for a short time and then found volunteers to come in and clean. And we had a volunteer team doing that. I did that with groups. I was leading groups. uh, And then we had a resident that we brought on who had fundraised their salary for a season. And I would hand that off uh, to the resident that was there. And then a new resident came on and I would hand it back. So giving them an opportunity uh, to do stuff that I felt comfortable doing. uh, And I could have done that. Like that was my background, but, Again, God brought a resident, we could do that. Uh, managing staff, uh, that was probably the one thing I realized I couldn't let go of mm. uh, because that was really paid setting for our culture. Uh, so that was the thing that I knew that I needed to, to make sure that I was spending time on. And the la- last thing I'd say about staff is like, that include volunteer staff. Mm. So not just paid staff, but high capacity volunteers that um, really are functioning uh, in the organization in a way that they have responsibility. And so I'm treating them as staff, doing check-ins, developing them, that sort of thing.
0: So finding those people, we assume the only way you can do that is you post something on social media or you have the pastor say something about it in his message. Uh, How did you go about getting the word out about
1: that? Uh, a couple of different ways. I mean, like the the resident approach was just networks. It was like going to every relational network. And that's where being in California doesn't hurt. Nope. You know, it's like, hey, come spend a year or summer out here. It's like, it's, a, it's attractive. Uh, you know, I've got friends in Arizona. Getting summer interns there is not easy. It's like, come yeah. come sit in the desert where it's 120 degrees for a little while. Uh, so there was that. <laughs> it's a dry heat. It's yeah, totally dry. <laughs> I barely even notice it. Uh, yeah. I think one of the things that we had to get our heads around was like, we we were bad at leadership development. We were good at recruiting leaders. Mm. So uh, we we had to learn how to develop somebody for where we were going, mm. uh, not just recruit someone that had already been trained and could slot in. And so we uncovered like this capacity myth, I think is the way I would frame it. Like mm. early on in the first couple of years, we were growing quickly. And, and it would be tempting to go like, well, we're growing beyond their capacity to lead, or like they were the right leader for the right season. And I was just confronted with the reality that like we've actually not developed them. So uh, when I say they don't have the capacity, the next question should be, and what have you done to develop or equip them to get where we need them to be? Uh, so it, it kind of, that epiphany helped us realize like there's a ton of amazingly gifted volunteers in our church that need to have someone do for them what someone did for me. We're like, I see this in you. Like I think that you have an opportunity to like do kingdom work here, whether it's vocational or not. Uh, would you consider giving some of the best hours of your week uh, to do this? And we were blown away with like a third of our staff team was volunteers, hmm. people that would they attended our church, they served as staff for six to eighteen months and moved on, uh, but they they not only filled significant roles for us but it was a huge part of their spiritual formation. Uh, and I think that was a key part of our early days.
0: You know, you're in ministry long enough. There are certain words that everybody uses and nods their head at, but no one knows what they mean. So uh, define development because one person hears that and they think, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I give them a book. Uh, another person says, oh, I just lead a staff meeting. And then they'll figure it out. Another person thinks, well, I'll just, you know, uh, show them a video. What does development look like in your context?
1: Oh man, I would tell me. Why don't you tell me what it is? <laughs> <laughs> I, we I just had a meeting today, and I'm like, we're we're 11 years in. We put 75 names up on a whiteboard, and we're like, how do we develop these people? And we're like, I don't know. Like so, <laughs> I think you can overthink it, which is I think what we have a tendency to do yeah. is to go, man, I gotta have a syllabus, I gotta have a curriculum, or I have to have this very clear end to this thing that I'm inviting them into. So I have to have a role that I'm asking them into. I have to have a responsibility for them. And I think what we try to do is just go, at the end of the day, we're trying to bring someone into my world uh, and give them opportunities to play significant roles in ministry, give them real opportunities to to do ministry work, meet with people, weddings, funerals, like discipleship, uh, and be in relationship with them so that as you're doing it together, you're having conversations. So I, uh, for me, it's been uh, being vulnerable enough to let people see me fail or be uncertain. That's been some of the probably the best ways that people have felt developed around me mm-hmm. uh, is, is seeing how I do it wrong, mm-hmm. uh, which then leads to more open conversations about what would right look like. Uh, so it's uh, it's we're not the most organized church in the world. So it's, uh, if someone said, hey, send me what you do for development, I'd, I'd stare them in the face and be like, we don't have anything. But if they came here, I would know how to develop them. I don't know if that makes sense. So
0: No, it totally does. And sometimes it's just easier to say, hey, follow me around, and then we'll talk about it, than it is to say, all right, let me give you the PowerPoint presentation, and then you go out and do it. Right.
1: Yep. And then at the end, I think giving them the chance to do it, mm-hmm. like, and get out of the way, I think that's been the hardest thing sometimes, is it means handing stuff off, or maybe stuff you don't want to stop doing, or maybe stuff that your identity's wrapped up in that you need to let go of.
0: Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Um, Okay, so you guys, you know, you're in this movie theater, and then you're able to take over the movie theater. And then you finally get this building that you've renovated and you move in and, uh, you know, have a big boy mortgage and all that kind of stuff. So how'd your job change then? Because now... And now you're like an organization, you know, it's an entity. It's not just this uh, little engine that could, I mean, you guys have done now, now how does thing, how do things change?
1: Oh my gosh, it felt so complicated. I'm like this thing that was so simple and grassroots, all of a sudden people are asking like, "Hey, can I see your handbook?" I'm like, a what? Like what's a handbook? Like, "Oh, we we don't have H- we need we H- yeah, we need some HR guidance probably. We're hiring people. Like, there was this scale to what we were doing uh, that I think created some tension around like how we operate to go, "How do we we valued um, intuitive leadership and kind of figuring it out as we go?" Uh, which is part of the fun of a startup. But when you start to scale, uh, that becomes a real inhibitor uh, where people don't have clarity. The ambiguity uh, from intuitive leadership creates doubt or uncertainty. So I think there was a sense of like, we have to figure out how are we going to uh, start to put procedures in place? How do we start to create, which is like words that we hate uh, here. So it was like, all of a sudden, everybody was reporting to me. We need to have other people managing staff. Um, it, the, scaling was complicated uh, because it because it forced us to define things that we hadn't previously defined. So I had to learn to start leading more through other people uh, than just myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as an XP, that took some learning to go. I have to figure out how to teach people to do what I've been doing, mm-hmm. um, not just do it myself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting. A lot of times church plants start because we want to run away from all the bureaucracy of the big church, and then we become big. And we're like, oh, no, here we are, you know. Now what am I going to do? Yeah,
1: totally.
0: (laughs) Okay, so here you are. You guys have grown from this little startup into now a mega church that's planting churches. What does your job look like now? You know, it seems like we're always reinventing ourselves and we have about a seven-year cycle and then here we go again and you guys are probably getting ready for another seven-year cycle. So, you know, what what does your job entail now than it was when you first moved in the building? Obviously, you survived COVID, right. uh, which was the weirdest, strangest, most awful time any of us have led through. Now you're on the other side of it. Um, as you guys are planting churches and, and, and dealing with, you know, becoming exponential rather than just can we survive, what's the mindset like there for an XP? Because it's no longer just, I hope we pay the bills this week. Now it's, how do we leave a lasting impact and legacy?
1: Yeah, I think, man, there's, uh, I think our arc has been, yeah hopefully unique (laughs) on the hard side of it, that we have had, uh, we scaled up before COVID, we were scaling, scaling, scaling. We were in a building for a year and a half, ran out of space. We got to figure out multi-site, kind of all of this stuff out of a need because we were growing. During COVID, I mean, we didn't know who our church was anymore. We knew the people had left the state. (laughs) We're like, we don't even, but we still, uh, what had started as a need, we need to multiply. Uh, developed as a conviction in COVID that like, no, we feel called to reach our county. Uh, it's a little bit of like the parable of the talents. Like we were looking at what God has put in our hand, uh, not in terms of finances, but in terms of people, like if the parable of the talents is about people and not money. It kind of changes your, mm-hmm. <laughs> your perspective on, how, on what stewardship means a little bit. So we were thinking through we like, how do we steward the resources of people that God has put in our hand and uh coming out of covid we were now launching things and we were probably numerically half the size we were going into covid so it stretched us in a lot of ways uh it caused us to really um d- define what were convictions um and and really was a, a little bit of a crucible right to go like this is be honest i'm like on this side of it i'm like did we overreach uh, with some of the things so we had to pull a campus back in, uh, a year ago, we're still planting a church this fall. So it was this weird season where like, we're, we're, we're shutting a thing down at the same time we're launching another thing. So we've planted, uh, two churches. We're planting our third, uh, this fall. That'll be in the last four years or five years. That'll be three churches we planted. we launched a campus and we pulled that back in. So, mm-hmm. uh, it was this weird season of scale up and scale back down very quickly, uh, we, we hired to go multi-site and then we had to pull it back in and lay people off and realign staff and restructure all while we're still planting churches and trying to pull residents in and release them. So it felt bipolar at times, like we're trying to do two things at once, but uh, I think it grew our dependence on God and uh, really clarified, I think, not clarified, I think as much as it um, was interesting where, I. I tend to lead strategically. So I think we need to have vision. We need to be able to tell people where we're going. And we need to, that's going to create movement. And I think this last season really reinforced the role of pastoring that in our current climate, people care way more about how we're caring for people uh, than they do about our plan. Uh, They trust us for whatever reason. Like I think we've built equity. Over time, over the last 10 years, because we've largely done what we said we were going to do. I think how we navigated or be perceived as a failure in some circles by pulling the campus back in uh, was the litmus test for whether we really cared about people or not. Uh, And I think the way that we did that allowed us to come out of it uh, in a way that's allowed us to keep moving forward.
0: Hey, let me interrupt this podcast for just a second to remind you, if you're not taking care of your mental health, nobody is. Step up and go check out sagacenter.org to find out more. All right, back to our show. So tell me, um, you know, what, what do you think has to be um, done in the heart of an executive pastor to take some of these lumps? Because we all love the highs, but we remember the lows. You know, I remember I heard a basketball coach uh, that's won a thousand games say one time, I don't remember many of the wins, but I remember every single loss. You know, and and so you, you, you plant a church, you hit certain numeric numbers, you have a campaign and oh, by the way, we had to close down a multi-site. That's the kind of thing that wears you out. So how do you balance that in your mind? How do you do the, you know, the, the self-work and self-talk in order to realize it's still a good day?
1: Yeah. That's so true. Rusty, you're saying that I'm like, yeah, all of the things we celebrate end up like in a trophy case or like certificates on the wall, you know, stuff you'd hang in your house but all the failures cause the way it goes in ministry, the things that are like hard end up, we wear, we wear them as scars, right? So they're just always with us yep. uh, and sometimes we can't, uh, we can't see beyond those things or it's the reality of like, man, we're limping. Like we're, like, we're reminded of this every step I take uh, cause it's with us. So uh, the thing that I've had to like really remind our team in this season is that, uh, and this is where I'm just personally grateful for my journey personally to go, I didn't start out in ministry, uh, I had a corporate job. My life was changed because I became a, a disciple of Jesus. Mm. Uh, and then I was given an opportunity to spend the best hours of my day doing vocational ministry. Um, but I don't feel like I have to keep doing that. Uh, this is not my career. So I don't, I, I feel like if, if it ever came to the point where like I wasn't able to do ministry anymore, that church didn't exist. Uh, my relationship with God would still be okay. That's so good. And I think if my discipleship is a means to an end, then I'll suffer a fractured soul that can't bear the weight of ministry. Mm -hmm. So my discipleship has to be first and foremost, just because of who God is in my life. Uh, And if I'm not building that type of a relationship, if my spirit's not formed in that way, then there's zero chance that it's going to sustain the weight of ministry. Mm. And it's really easy to get into the weeds of like, I'm going to put strategy together, even around self-care that I'm going to, I'm going to have a replenishment cycle and I'm going to do all these things, but you can do all of those things and not be a disciple of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So it's (laughs) in some ways you just never get past the foundation of Jesus's call is to pick up your cross and follow him. And people that pick up crosses die. Mm. So like, and it's not like it's, you know, Oh, we're going to suffer. I mean it more in the terms of like, I'm giving up my life so that I can find it. These are the things that Jesus says. He also says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So carrying a cross should feel light because uh, Jesus is with it. So it, I think, and, and I think to miss the last thing, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. So like if if you're burning out, if things are hard, if things are bad, it does not mean your discipleship is a wreck. That's not what I'm saying. It's not cause and effect that way. Mm-hmm. But I just think you have to get the first thing
0: first uh, in that order. Man, that's really well said, Jim. Man, that's good. Okay. So uh, I want to ask about this because a lot of XPs, I, I know what goes on when you all get together and that is you all complain about your lead pastor. Okay. And, and my <laughs> I mean, XP well, is... We
1: stories. We just tell stories.
0: <laughs> yeah. My XP is leading the charge on that one. Okay. So here's what I want to know. You work with a very visionary leader, way out there. What if we did this? How about we do this? That kind of thing. And you've got to be around to kind of pick up the pieces or connect the dots. How do you deal with that? I mean, what advice would you give to an XP out there that's dealing with a visionary leader as to, do I take every idea seriously? Do I ignore things? How do I manage this?
1: Oh, yeah, this is so true, man. I think uh, on top of that, uh, Arlie Pastor is an intuitive leader. So uh, there's a lot of like, I know it when I see it. Or judging by feel, Mm. so I've had to learn to ask questions and try to define what good questions are that give me information I can act on. Mm -hmm. So I've, when he has an idea or we have a new thing, my first three words almost always are like, "Tell me more." (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) tell me more. Like before I jump to a conclusion or shoot down the idea because it's it's not feasible. (laughs) uh, Tell me more why about why you want to do that. Or like, when you said blank, what did you mean by that? Uh, I'll ask, like, do you care how we do that? Uh, If doing that meant blank for our church, would it change how you feel about it? Um, If we don't do that, would you be frustrated and why? Like, so those are just some of the questions that I just have on speed dial, like in a conversation. And then I take notes because I'm like, okay, like with a visionary, I need to start like, sketching out what do you really mean when you say that right uh and then i think the uh the other phrase that him and i have used is like is that a bear or a rabbit uh so like he's uh if you've done thinking wavelengths he's a 9 on i'm a thinking wavelengths like he's just is hmm. like always he only, only sees opportunity dear goodness only opportunity <laughs> yeah i'm a five and a half so i'm in the middle but he'll the, the analogy we've used is like, he's out there like seeing targets and shooting them. And he's, he's thinking he's shooting rabbits and he's like handing them back to be processed and like grab the fur off them, you know, and he's just throwing them back and the team in the backs, like you're throwing bears back and there's a lot more to processing a bear than a rabbit. Uh, and so you, you think that's a small thing, uh, but you are discounting the work behind the scenes. So it's just been a playful way to go like, do you think that's a rabbit or a bear? Uh, that's
0: really good. Oh, that's good. Okay. So part of your job as an XP is to really deal with staff. You're trying to get the right people uh, as Jim Collins would say on the bus and some in the right seat on the bus, but occasionally you got to stop the bus and ask a few people to leave. So how have you learned just some of the things to say and the way to, um, you know, couch it to help people kind of change their role because sometimes you know and this is true at most churches the job you get is not the job that you keep you end up somewhere else what's the you know the kind of the nomenclature you use to move somebody from one seat to another
1: yeah i think uh i think it's got to be baked into how you're another the development word but like maybe for this conversation how you're checking in with the person so uh I would wanna always, I always wanna balance for us. uh, Am I, do I have the person in the right position based on who they are and how they're wired and their giftedness and their passion? And man, our current culture is all about that, like find your sweet spot. But it has to be held in tension with, this is where we are as a church and as an organization, and this is what we need uh, as a church. And so there has to be some, some fit conversations, but it also has to be directly connected to our strategy. What's next? Where we're going? Uh, and so I, I want to have conversations about both of those realities continually mm. and constantly. I mean, we have a we're strategic, so we have a dashboard, we have a roadmap, we have all of these things, right, that are we're pointing to the future. So that can inform those conversations, and I can have conversations with them about, hey, if we if we go from one location to two, or if we're going to plan a church this fall, what needs to be true about your role about this position? Uh, do you think that you have all of the skills to do that right now? Uh, if, if we went this direction in three years from now, our church was this size and your role looked like this, would you still like that job? Like, so we can have some of those conversations, uh, in our culture in a way that it, uh, it doesn't feel like there's a bait and switch. I mean, you answer that wrong and you're out. Uh, but it's around care and going, I, I don't, you're a of the team, we can move seats, mm-hmm. um, I think it feels terrifying when they're, when it's sudden, uh, I didn't see it coming. Mm, that's true. Uh, is a phrase that I don't ever want to hear as a manager. Like mm. if I have to fire someone, I want to have had so many hard conversations directly with them when I call them into my office to say, Hey, today's your last day. Their response is, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> like I want it to be obvious, uh, and, and have uh, had the hard conversation. So, That's, that's one of the ways I think that like, you just got to lean in and make sure that you're having the right conversations all along the way.
0: Okay. So when you do have the conversation of it's time for you to get off the bus, sometimes it's, we have outgrown you. Sometimes it's, you know what? I I can tell you're getting a little cantankerous and you need to change. sometimes, you know, they they just, they're not a fit. Uh, Walk me through that. What, what, what have you said in those situations to help ease the pain? Uh, Certainly if they're part of your church beforehand, that makes it really complicated.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, fortunately, in our context, I haven't had to do that. But in the in, in Rockford, before we moved out here, uh, a good friend of mine that I was co-leading a campus with, uh, man, he he had three or four staff members that we when we were leading. We pulled into the office and we had to let go over an eighteen-month period, uh, and all of them uh, stayed in the church. Wow, kept attending the church. Uh, what I saw in that was it goes back to like how we're valuing people. Now, we can't control how they react and respond. And like that doesn't mean that like that's the measure of success. But uh, it does in some way reflect um, the way that we've we've cared for this person. Uh, And care is having those hard conversations. So I don't ever want to get to the point. We have to avoid getting to the point where like I have four examples in this conversation that I can point to, to justify my position. I probably should have had four conversations along the way about each one of those things, uh, so that your eyes are open. You're kind of feeling it. We're talking together about where this is going. I'm giving you a chance to like make some changes and, or change my mind about it. This is assuming it's not like character or controversy type stuff, but when it is fit capacity, those types of things, uh, I think there should be a longer conversation uh, leading up to it.
0: You know, they make, you make a great point there because I've gone into meetings where I fill the quiver up. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got six or seven pieces of evidence that I'm willing to drop on the table at any moment. And the reality is, boy, that should have been six conversations rather than six arrows I'm going to fire at this, at this particular time. That's, that's really wise. Hey, what did you... What'd you never expect about pastoring? So here you are in a bank, you start working, you know, you start volunteering at a church, you think, man, it'd be great to be on staff here. And I remember that church. That's a great church. Mm-hmm. I'd love to be on staff here. And now you're on staff at a church. What'd you never expect?
1: Uh, All of it? Like, I mean, I, I, I went into it very naive. Like, so I didn't really know, I don't think I knew what to expect, but I never in a million years would I have painted the picture that. Uh, emerged like I, the oper- I feel like Forrest Gump uh, in some ways. Of so, like, I've I've found myself in places that I I have no right to be in around people that I have no right to be around. It's been one of the most amazing adventures, and I don't think that's because I took a job at a church. I really do think that's just the nature of following Jesus. Like when you mm. s- continue to say yes with a reckless abandon, you you end up going down this path that you can't predict. So in some ways it's like, man, I, I, I can't believe I live in California. Like, like mm. I tell it to my boys all the time. Like they're 10 and 15. One was three when we moved here. Another one was born here. I'm like, you don't know how lucky you have it. Like there's snow on the mountains. We're standing on the beach. I'm like, my 10 year olds never worn jeans. You know, I'm like, he's only wearing short. <laughs> you don't know, man, you don't know. Uh, so there's like, just been some sweet benefits to it. of like, man, I, I get to, raise my kids in a place that's pretty uh, amazing the friendships i've developed like have been uh, incredible uh and then my personally just man this, my spiritual formation like the my relationship with god the way that i've been able to grow um through those opportunities is far exceeded anything that i could have like charted course for mm-hmm. the spiritual side of or like the pastor side of it like man i uh, it's i'm i'm doing fun- you know I'm doing funerals I'm doing weddings. I'm showing up in like the worst of times for families and like just thinking through like what a privilege it is to to step into those moments um and bring the hope of the gospel um getting to celebrate some of the highest highs in people's lives like it's it really is just uh an overwhelming privilege to be in that seat
0: that's so good I love the way you frame that up okay so one of the things that I've always thought was admirable and fascinating about what you do is you you took an interest in the police force there in uh, your city and decided to kind of work your way into a police chaplain was that a job that was open or did you just kind of declare yourself that one day and show up with the bible and say listen to me or walk me through that whole progression and why
1: online course, rented a uniform and just showed up at the station (laughs) that's all it takes (laughs) here take me on the ride along that's Uh, right no we uh we made the you know mistake of praying god give us opportunities to serve our community and then actually paying attention to opportunities that god gave us to serve our community so that was our prayer when we moved here we didn't know what that would look like and through a friend of a friend of a friend uh ended up meeting with an officer uh with the police department here in town and they did not have a chaplain's program he was a believer. Uh, had seen the value of this in other departments and was trying to figure out how to start one, uh, but he didn't. He didn't know any pastors in the community that might be willing to do it. And I'm like, well, I'm a pastor, but we don't have a church yet. <laughs> like, so yeah. uh, I think I'm. I'm interested if you're. If that's <laughs> okay with you. Like again, it's like I don't right. have any qualifications to do this, but this sounds fun. It sounds great. Let's give it a yeah. shot. So they started the process to create a chaplains program, uh, and it was a nine month process. When during that time the church launched. Uh, I got trained and we were ready to roll it out. We were a month away from rolling it out, and an on-duty officer committed suicide. Mm. And so it went from this idea of like, how are we gonna implement this faith uh in the workplace in a way that won't meet resistance mm. to him calling and going, like, hey, we need you here in an hour. This just went down. Uh, and I found myself on stage for the funeral. No officers resisting the idea of having a pastoral presence in that moment. Uh, And again, it was just like, what am I doing here, God? Like, how do I, oh, I hope I don't screw this up, you know, Uh, like this openness to the gospel in those moments and just like relationship, um, the relationships that can be built. So that's kind of how it started. And then I did that for nine years and it it really did start as a way to serve the community. And then honestly, it was the best pastoral training Mm. that I've ever received. Like the, the opportunities you get to do ministry. I mean, I, Maybe they teach this in Bible college or seminary. I don't know. But showing up to do death notifications, um, you know, with knocking on the door of a stranger's home with a police officer. And they're like, all right, go ahead and tell them. You know, it's like, oh, oh I'm doing it. Uh, and walking into that moment and knowing I'm a resource for an officer. So they, they get to be there, make sure it happens, and then they can leave. And then I'm left there. With this family that's just had their world collapse, more times than not, don't attend church. Don't They would not walk through the doors of a church, may not even have believers in their life. And I'm able to, to minister in that moment and develop a relationship is just mm-hmm. unbelievable. Showing up for suicides, like uh, whether it's a, a public suicide, we've had some in our community where I've then been, been equipped to do critical incident stress management briefings. So I show up with the employees or those that were affected or around when it happened and leading them through a process. Hmm. All of those are lead to developing community relationships because you provided a service and showed up in their greatest need. Uh, No one's, no one's ever pushed back on the gospel in those moments or situations. Uh, I'm not leading them to Jesus in the moment in terms of like conversion. I'm not like asking them if they want to repent, Uh, but I'm clearly showing up with the hope of Jesus in a way that causes them to ask questions months later. Uh, and there's been tons of fruit from that. Mm,
0: that's amazing. Most of us shy away from those moments and you're running into it. So, uh, Jim, uh, I want to ask you this because you, you, you talked about obviously doing those kind of conversations gives you a lot of trauma and ministry. <laughs> goodness, I, I heard this great term from, I think it was Dan Allender that referred to it as vicarious trauma that we pick up from you know, situations that we counsel people through and then we take it home with us. And after a while, it adds up. How have you dealt with that? How have you dealt with your mental health and uh, just made sure that you were okay?
1: Yeah, that's man, it's so true. And I think it's such a, uh, a topic that's on the forefront of people's minds in a, in a good way. I think our, our culture is really open to this. And I think churches are really starting to understand this. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think, again, I got some great training as a chaplain through this and got, had my eyes really open uh, to this. The FBI training that we had talked about police officers and how they are uh, have to live in a hypervigilant state, meaning like they never know really what they're walking into. They have to you know, maintain awareness. And we, when we were stepping into uncertain uh, or traumatic things, it causes our body to produce adrenaline and it takes a physiological toll. And the science says like, it takes time to replenish those reserves but it's 24 hours oftentimes to replenish, but you're back on shift the next day. Uh, or for pastors, man, we're always on call. The next calls come in. Uh, so many things are demanded from us. We find ourselves going from meeting to meeting or conversation to conversation uh, that feels like you know we're shifting gears without a clutch. It's like I can have one meeting with a person in our church that's furious about a comment we made or a, a, a theology we hold, And then I can get a phone call of someone that just, you know, their wife got diagnosed with cancer and I have to show up with empathy to that situation. And then I can, you know, I have to jump into a staff meeting where I have to have a disciplinary conversation with someone. And so it's like, and then you're supposed to go home, uh, and not bring it home maybe, or do I bring it home? Like, I mean, I don't, you hear all these stuff, like you're going to, your family's going to hate the church if you do it. And it's like, well, if you don't, you're going to feel like you've abandoned your family because they don't know what you're doing. So, I I don't do what I do because I'm not a therapist. So I mean, (laughs) that's the first caveat. But I think what I've, uh, what I've done personally is I do talk about it. So my wife and I talk about a lot of stuff. Like she's a safe place for me to have a lightning rod for it to go there. And I feel like she can handle that. And, uh, and that's been something that we've done forever. I've also got An inner circle of guys. uh, There are things that I'm like, maybe not going to have that conversation, or it's not resolved yet, and I can't talk about it yet. I have people outside of our church that I can, in community, talk with. That I'm not their pastor. Yeah, Uh, they don't care what I do. Um, They really care about who I am and how I'm doing, and they'll ask really hard questions. I think in the same way, we have to be disciples to be pastors. Uh, We can't just talk about mental health if we're not going to be practitioners. So I think. I think therapy i think being like we have groups that we're a part of where we're working through all the stuff limbic wounds childhood stuff i'm like we, i've been in those groups doing those things just I, I i think you have to keep working at it
0: it is an ongoing battle and uh it just about the time you think you've got it you know figured out here comes something else and it's just this ongoing how do i empty this out and fill it full of something good and and move ahead um i just uh I know that so many of us are dealing with more than we ever thought we could after COVID when it kind of all escalated. Um, And there's people that are no longer with us that once were that we thought could help carry the load, uh, which really feels it's daunting at times. But uh, I appreciate today, Jim, because you have not only modeled it well from a distance, but you have now communicated it well in the present. So our people can uh, really uh, learn from what it is you have to say. So thanks for what you're doing, buddy. And thanks for sharing today.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Well, Jim, thanks for being with us. It was awesome. So grateful for his words to us. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show and make sure that you also pass this episode along to your favorite executive pastor or maybe somebody you know that even wants to get into ministry, but they're thinking about how do I do that? Or perhaps somebody you know that wants to plant a church. And if you're looking to plant a church in the California area, we might actually have some money for you and some support. We'd love to help you plant a church out here. You can contact us uh, through our website, org, or you can email me at rgeorge at org. Hey, next week, we get to talk to one of the great leaders that you may have never heard of. He's the guy that has supported and worked with and helped uh, pastors like Andy Stanley for decades. He's been a leader over at North Point Ministries. He's become a good friend, and he's an incredible thinker, an all-around fun guy. His name is Lane Jones. He joins us next week on Leading Simple. Hey, thanks so much for being a part of the show. And as always, keep it simple.
1: Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe
0: to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and
1: fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple. Let's, yeah.